tātou. Kūtou e noho mai nā i o kūtou kāinga. Kūtou kua tahuri mai ki te whakarongo ki te kaupapa nei nā kōrero kaputi a te iwi. A tūhoi, me tanga tari e wāna kai mahi te uni taumatu. Tēnā pea, kua roa tā kūtou noho i wā kūtou kāinga. I wēnā pito e nā whaitua o e nā mārua o tātou roto o te uriwera. Ahoe no koutou o tūhoe, kei waho atu i te rohe pōtai e noho ana, ka mihira ki a kūpū. Ko te ori paki tēnei. I'm sitting here in my nice warm whare in Whakatāne, and fortunate enough to be sitting in the presence of Ben Thomas, who is sitting up in his plush tari, and looks like his cupboard, his wardrobe, in Auckland and with the chair of both uh, Tūhoi Teuru Taumatua and uh, Te Urewera Board Taumati Kruja. Morena kōrua. Morena, morena. morena. The, the acoustics are better in the cupboard. Well, <laughs> I tell you, the view isn't. <laughs> well, 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 you know, there, there are some, there are some uh, privileges that come with level three uh, on the alert, um, but fr free movement and uh, professional studios is not one of them. Well, Ben, can I say it looks like heaven for people with no friends? <laughs> well, well, for all of you that are, that are listening to us, we're actually on our uh, on our fancy Zoom. We we think we're actually quite good at this now. So this is our cool. second podcast, and that's us saying to ourselves that the first one was good. So we're doing a second one, and uh, and hopefully um, you can you can hear us loud and clear. But we we thought that as a as a kaupapa uh, for us to discuss is is teurewera, ko te kaupapa o teurewera. He kaupapa nui, he kaupapa taketake motuhake nei mo tātou o teurewera. And it has many aspects to it, but the aspect that we want to discuss this morning, Ben, is just the concept of what a national park is and the fact that teurewera is now not a national park. And tāmati, the... The short, I don't know, 180-odd-year journey that we needed to take to, to, to tidy up uh, how we uh, both interact with Te Urewera, relate to Te Urewera, and show our love and our aroha uh, for, for Te Urewera. So, um, so I, I think Ben has done a little bit of research, a little bit of homework mm -hmm. on this national park thing, Ben. What's, what's, what's your quarter? Yeah, so I've, I've been doing my research, and... Uh... I picked up the Urawera National Park Guide, produced by, I think, whatever the Department of Conservation was called in the 1960s. Um, and Urawera National Park was, um, found, was, was established in 1954 by the New Zealand government. Um, quite, quite a long journey to get there, uh, which Tamari can uh, sort of fill us in on. Um, the, the history in this uh, concludes, this is about the 1960s, it says, this is the happy ending of a complicated but fascinating story. <laughs> a story of conflicting interests and aims, which nearly destroyed the Urawera forests, ending with the establishment of a park, which will permanently secure to the public of New Zealand for its proper use and enjoyment, the last large compact area of unspoiled mountain forest remaining in the North Island. So it was all, so it was a happy ending. And... <laughs> And, and, and yet for some reason, now Tūruwera is not a national park. Um, so I don't, I don't know if uh, Tāmati has any background on why that's the case. 
<laughs> well, Ben, it's it's a bit like somebody with a face covered with broken commandments. All right. Um, I, well, the, the short the short story is that um, around about 1860 to 1870, um, uh, Tuhoi and the Crown decided that they didn't really like each other. They had different agendas. They disagreed with each other, and uh, that that kind of developed into some hostilities. So around the 1860s, 1870s, there was invasions, military action, combat, ending with confiscations. Uh, from the 1870s to the 1890s, uh, two had figured out it just didn't have uh, the resources and the might to continue with a military action um, approach. So. Uh, to who took on resistance, uh, but kept up the hostilities, uh, but more passive resistance. Uh, they had to endure uh, crown intimidation and then crown legal coercion uh, of to where to sell up um, and all of those things that I think most New Zealanders are unaware of, forced surveys, and then you are charged or surveys you never asked for, didn't have any money, so the land was taken as a result of that. Uh, from 1890 to around about 1920s, uh, the full onslaught of colonization, assimilation, the Crown was now assuming control of this, of this whole Teodawera area, despite and in spite of Tuhoe opinion. Um, so uh, people then uh, were forced into uh, uh, individualizing of land that that introduced really the breaking down of of two institutions like hapu Fano and iwi uh, the sidelining of rangatira leadership um, and a confidence in your own system and awareness of your own culture and identity. Uh, there was a full uh, assault on that, I would say, from the 1890s, 1920s. And by the, by the time we, we get to the 1930s and 40s, uh, there, there was enclaves of Tuhue resistance, uh, but by, by and large, uh, Tuhue were overwhelmed, overwhelmed by it all. And, and then we come to your part, where in 1954, the Crown had acquired, by various means, ownership of parts of Teodawera, but it was spread and scattered all over the place. They couldn't do anything with it. So they consolidated uh, their shares uh, over a period of time. There were appeals, there were objections that have never, ever been fully satisfied. People were moved around, shares were traded. Uh, people didn't know what shares were, but shares were being traded. And in essence, the Crown achieved the consolidation of what it saw as it owned in Tudor. And then it got to the point where it didn't know what to do with it. Um, so like, like something of a cross between noise and music, 
they created a national park, like a holding pet. National park was created to hold uh, the crown's interest. The problem, of course, problem, of course, Odian uh, being was, it was inhabited by pesky Maoris. Not, not like Fiordland, where it was wilderness, and all you had were birds and animals. But Teutawera was problematic. There you had Maori people, Tuhue people living throughout, even in the middle of your consolidated interests. The crown was left in an uncomfortable and awkward position of running a national park, uh, but uh, with the indigenous people living uh, within it. And so, so began the journey of sidelining the tuhoe-ness of Teudawera and then replacing and displacing that uh, by posters and narratives of trees, birds, and scenery. Well, well Tamati, I, I think straight away when, when, you, when you're able to uh, give that short abridged version, um, there, there, there is of course much, uh, much to add to all of that. But the, the point that I, I probably want to raise in, in the essence of where we're going with, with our discussion around uh, how uh, Te Weta has come out of, of being a national park. Uh, I, I recall that for Suhoi people, Te Weta was the number one, the number one kaupapa on the table for a settlement for, for Tuhoi. Um, and that without any kind of uh, agreement to uh, how Teurewera would come back to Tuhoi. Even that sounds a bit weird because Teurewera never left the place. It was probably mm. more so that Tuhoi got pushed out of Teurewera. So mm. I, maybe I should say of Tuhoi returning to Teurewera. Uh, mm. that, that in itself uh, seemed to be a bit of a complicated story, Tamati, because you, mm. you look at Teurewera and how it has uh, been, how Tuhoi has returned to Teurewera. It, it has this thing where it owns itself. It's not a national park. Um, and, and that to many sounds a little bit different, a little bit different. So um, when you talked about our alienation from the Fenua back in the early 1900s, one of the things you talked about was the concept of land ownership, shares, and, and that kind of thinking. So maybe talk us a little bit through about what it is that Tuhoi was trying to do in its re-establishing of its relationship, uh, its aroha for Te Urewera. Understand. Uh, I, th I think we have to set the scene, right? The scene is um, from 1954, uh, which, which is a long time ago, um, when the National Park was, was put together. Um, you're talking about four generations to now. So four generations that know nothing else but a national park. So they've lived with it. They've lived with the view that Doc is in charge, owned it, and that the best that they could do would be to get contracts in pit and weed control 
cutting tracks, fixing bridges, painting huts, and occasionally during the summer becoming an honorary ranger um, uh, to enforce uh, the rules of a national park. So four generations have become naturalized and acclimatized uh, to Tūhoe uh, being a distant memory in its connection with, with Tūhoe. So that's what you're bringing back, right? That, that's what you're trying to bring back. Um, it's easier to deal with the land thing, the physical manifestation, the land, uh, but there's, there's no ready plan on, on how you inspire and bring confidence to your people uh, to change, you know, the mindset of mental slavery uh, and, and to think of themselves as mana whenua. That, that, that has been lost for four generations. Yeah. In terms of just the, the, the easy sort of, well, you know, you described it as sort of, it's quite easy to deal with the land itself, you know, in terms of the ownership. Um, but it, it was complicated, wasn't it? <clears throat> so Tuhoi start, started negotiations with the Crown in, what, about two, 2007? Yes. And at that point, the treaty settlement process had been going for about 10 years mm. at that point. And... Doug Graham, who started that process, had always said at the beginning, no national parks. National parks won't be part of treaty settlements. The, the, the public perception is that, you know, national parks were sort of off the table. Uh, like, yes, because you've got four generations who have grown up with these things. And so because it was such a priority for Tuhoi, um, you know, wh how did that sort of... How, how did it kind of evolve that, that that kind of became part of discussions? Well, uh, um, as, as the negotiator, I had no room to move. Uh, my instruction were uh, from, from all of two who was, don't come back without Tehidawera. So that was clear enough. Um, so it was around figuring out how, how to do that. And you're quite right. Conservation uh, lands uh, were never ever going to be used by uh, government uh, for treaty settlements. Uh, but in this case, they had nothing else. They, they didn't have any wharves, airports, um, uh, dams. Uh, they, they didn't have any town properties, uh, things like that. That's all they had. And, and they knew that. And the other, the other thing, that the other thing we got them to agree upon, uh, Ben, was that, that that particular national park was always problematic because it had Maoris running around in it. And, and, and that they had to put up with the contradictions of uh, two Hue people on their horses with their 20 dogs uh, going from their private land to other private land crossing the national park. And, and all of the Pākehā people uh, who were obeying the rules, which was no dogs, no horses, and uh, seasonal hunting, uh, all these things that Tūhu were ignoring. We got the Crown to a position where they agreed it should never have been a national park in the first place. 
The other thing is, of all of their national parks, it didn't make any money. In fact, all of the other national parks were subsidizing everything, you know, because what, what did Tūtawera have? Uh, well, apart from scaring, you know, decent, law-abiding taxpayers, um, the, only, the only income you, you really had was from boaties at Waikaremoana and voluntary koha for using the huts. Um, the, big, uh, the big discomfort was it was public land and New Zealanders now uh, for over 50 years had come to regard Tedawira as their property, as theirs. Um, so that, that was the tension for the Crown. How can they give away public property uh, to, to a, a Māori tribe? Uh, that, that, to them, that was not going to work. So it came down to an issue of ownership. The Crown saying, I own it. And what, you want me to give it to you? No. So that was the hurdle we had to, we had to yeah, manage. Um, I'm going to ask the obvious one there, Tamati. Yeah. How was that managed? It came down to realising what the problem was, that when the Prime Minister of the time said that was a bridge too far uh, to, uh, to give to the weather, back to Tuhue management or to Tuhue ownership as he saw it, even though we didn't use those words, but that's how it was translated. Well, look, um, in, in my heart, the, the best light we had at that time to do these things was from that far bridge being burnt. We had to burn that bridge to give us light as to where to go. So once we realized that it was an ownership issue, we then set about making it a non-ownership issue. And after exhausting all of the options uh, that the Crown was, was considering, uh, we finally then came to that one which now is world famous where the land owns itself. Therefore, nobody was going to own anything. Therefore, everybody agreed that it's right that the land owns itself. And that Tuhoe supported all of the values of the national parks in New Zealand as they exist. Uh, that this was not a reversal of, of any of those values and principles about being inspirited by nature, by looking after nature, being connected uh, to, to the environment, being, being a wise steward of, of all of that. And, and also that public access will continue. So, Having satisfied that, the Crown came to the conclusion that um, it could live with that. It could live with it. So uh, both the Crown negotiators and ourselves sat down to work out the mechanics of that. And together we wrote the legislation, un un unlike what, uh, you know, there are, uh, there are uh, rumours alive 
that treaty settlement uh, legislation is written by the Crown. Uh, not, not in this case. We, we, we got together and wrote this, this legislation. Well, I think uh, that that's certainly uh, a good fariki. He fariki takapau kōrero te rāmata tau tāmati mo tēnei kaupapa mo te uriwera because there are many different aspects to it which are incredibly interesting as, as this is new. This is something that is unique. So every aspect in relation to it is essentially a new area that we're all learning together. And sometimes we can be a bit clunky, uh, but, but as you say, it's, it's a kaupapa that's based on principle. So as long as we're able to stick within that framework, we're generally moving in the right direction.